Hey y'all, this is the fifth episode of the Southern Lodge Podcast. Today the guys and I will be discussing springtime in the whitetail world. This means getting in the woods and doing some early season scouting, planning your food plots and stand locations. Another thing about spring, that means the spring squirrel season in Mississippi. We're going to discuss some differences between a fall and spring hunt. So pull up a chair to the fire and welcome to the Southern Lodge. Hey guys, uh, today me and Aaron are going to be doing some talking about springtime deer activities. Danny can't make it, so he's going to miss out on a wonderful discussion about something we're all passionate about, and that's deer hunting. Uh, we're also going to talk a little squirrel hunting. I don't know if Danny does that too much, so y'all won't be missing out too much, but uh, we're going to get y'all talking about some spring deer time activities. Another day in paradise over here for me, Mike. Got a glass of Southern Lodge sweet tea to, to bring in the evening. Um, think about all these awesome springtime activities that you can do. You know, a lot of people, including myself, get really depressed when whitetail deer seasons close down, but that doesn't mean you got to stop uh, dreaming about next season and planning it out. And you know what? God be praised. We've got some springtime activities that you can even go outside with a, uh, a firearm and put some red meat in the freezer. That's and, right. Uh, what I'm talking about there is uh, squirrel season here in Mississippi. They've got a, a two-week season in the spring, uh, May 15th to June 1st. You can get out there in the woods, and uh, we're going to talk about the differences between uh, spring squirrel season and fall squirrel season, strategies that you might have to change up to have some success. Uh, we're also going to talk about all the, the whitetail activities that you can be doing in the spring while you're getting ready for next season. So let's jump right in, man. Let's uh, do it. One thing, I, one thing I just love to do in the spring, and I did this last weekend, is hop on the old Honda Rancher, drive around in the woods, get off, get off the, the beaten trail, blaze a new trail, go into some of those areas that for whatever reason during the hunting season you can't get to whether it's because there's other hunters there or you're you're afraid to disturb deer that are bedding in those areas but this is the time you can go do that you can go anywhere you want to you put a uh, a revolver or a pistol with some snake shot on your hip and just get out there and have some fun and uh, the first thing that I think we could talk about is stand placement so if you don't mind let's let's get in our philosophies of stand placement when you when you get to a food plot what are you looking for uh before you put that shooting house up or ladder stand what what factors affect your decision of where to put that stand i'll i'll start with you and then i'll give my my list all right so what i look for is it and it all depends on the size of property you got and the people you got out there but if, if you got a good group of guys together or people you know women like to hunt my mother my mother hunts with me and my father all the time so i can't just say the guys if you get the people out there to hunt um you really want to look into getting you want to try you know in the winter time you get that north wind coming down and you want that wind in your face when you're hunting but you also got to look at uh, not everybody can be facing north because then you might run into some some bullet travel issues. And also, I don't know about in other places, but you know, down in the south we get this thing called a swirling wind. You know, one day you're going to have it out the north, the next day it's going to be out the west, then the east, 
Heck, it might even come out the south, and that could all be in one day. That's just how it happens down here. But, you know, and a lot of it, it, topography really changes too from the coastal region up into where the, the northern parts of Mississippi and Alabama and, you know, even Arkansas, you know, on the coast, a lot of things, it's flats, a lot of planted pines. And the more northern you get, you're going to get some more hills and some more hollers, and you'll have some elevation changes. And when I'm on the coast, I really like to, if it's a flat piece of land, I want to try and have um, a decent-sized food plot. You want to you have something with maybe a 75 to 125-yard shot, but I want to get that shooting house. I like to hunt out of the air, so I want to have a shooting house that's anywhere. You want to have some elevation, so anywhere from 6 to 12 feet off the ground. I want to have that shooting house at, at minimum, at minimum 10 yards. That's maybe still 20 yards off your shooting plot, off your plot with some coverage in between you want to you want to camouflage that shooting house into the woods so good that the deer can't see it and they don't know it's there you know it's there they don't so if i'm on the coast i want i really want more of a because you're going to be dealing with planet pines you want to try and get that rectangular plot you know maybe something 50 yards wide 100 125 yards long if i'm hunting if I'm hunting in the northern areas of the states, I what the best thing I've hunted before is if you can get your, you can have a little smaller food plot, but if you can find something on a hill where your where your stand is above your food plot and you're shooting down, you can have a little bit of a smaller food plot because you're you know, you're going to have maybe 80 yards of nothing in between your plot and your stand just because of the elevation differences. You don't have, you know, you're not shooting on a level plane. You're coming from a higher angle. So that's what I like if, I, if I've got a little bit of elevation change. Now, also speaking, if there's some hollers and some creek beds and um, just some moist areas, I really like to put a food plot right up next to the hardwood line and just same thing get your get your shooting house off of the plot you know give yourself a buffer zone and you know give them because they're going to be going in there to to drink and you know it's an easy uh it's an easier highway for them to pursue than the planet pines and everything else so just give them uh an eating spot close to their close to their highways and that that's what i kind of like what about you aaron i know i, I know i talked yeah. for a good bit but that that's that's kind of how my feelings are and i could probably add a little bit more but i'll see what you got to say before i add any more well michael you've got a beautiful voice so you just talk all you want to buddy doesn't bother me one bit yeah uh you you hit on some of the big ones there natural cover when i think of that think of that ladder stand we had on the 250 here uh here in south mississippi that we we were tempted to cut a lot of those little shrubs and uh small trees away but we wrestled that ladder stand up in between some of those and when that thing was in place a year later that thing was like whoo deer had no clue 
No clue. And if you were, uh, if you were uh, watching your scent control responsibly, you know that's that's an ideal hunting spot there. Yeah, and uh, just to, just to give people um, a little uh, a, a little picture of what this stand looked like, it it was our smallest plot. Uh, literally from where the stand where this leaner was to the back of the plot was maybe 30 yards maybe 25 but the stand was hidden so well and the coverage was so good uh the deer would just come in and not even notice us um we had a friend take a uh a little six point off of it i know i took a doe off of it um i don't i don't know if aaron did or not but I, i think you saw deer on that plot didn't you uh, we had them on camera. I actually didn't hunt that plot uh, mm. very often. But uh, so some other factors, uh, you talked about wind direction, which, and look, if somebody listens to this and they can correct us by email, that'd be great. But I believe you have what's called thermals, which are consistent wind based on the season. Like uh, in the south during the winter time, you're going to have a consistent northern wind because that's what's blowing the cold air in. And that could change, I guess, north, northeast, northwest, something like that. Uh, but then, like, what Michael's saying is sometimes you get in these little bowls in between hills, and that wind gets to swirling. Uh, the other thing, uh, so I don't, I don't know, wind direction is important, but probably the most important thing to me is optimal range for the food plot with a blend of minimal disruption getting to the stand from your trail so sometimes you got to cut a trail that doesn't exist yet just to get to the shooting house that doesn't require you to walk across the food plot and one of the issues we run into um, in my club with you know 30 plus members on our club stands which i love hunting club stands you you can hunt a variety of landscapes and um, habitats one of the problems is when you got 36 members, not everybody practices scent control. So I might come in behind somebody who didn't spray down with whether it's an enzyme-based scent control or they don't use ozonics or something that, uh, I don't know, laundry detergent. They don't use something to help cover their scent. And they go in ahead of me. They laid this big old scent trail that's going to keep any mature buck away from that plot. Uh, does and, and small bucks will still probably come but one of my one of my choices when I'm looking at uh, stand location for my own shooting houses uh, especially on a food plot is how do I put this shooting house on this plot where I can get to it without having to cross the plot uh, that's that's one of the biggest issues I think we have so minimal disruption to the plot that's my that's my top priority with stand location and you know you mentioned this earlier um, you know, springtime, getting in there and doing your scouting. A lot of the northern people don't have to deal with this because it is a lot of more, I won't say old growth, but it's a lot more hardwood, and we deal with a lot more planted pine down here. And then, you know, once the winter is over and things start growing, the spring is, you know, in the winter, like you mentioned, in the wintertime, you can't get in there because people are still hunting. Springtime is really the, the, the only time the southern hunter can really get in and do a good I call it a walkabout because by the time you wait till the summer months, the undergrowth is going to be so thick, you're not going to be able to walk 
five yards into the woods without being just tangled up in vines and sticker bushes so so really the springtime is the time like aaron mentioned you want to get in there and scout in your your walk you actually want to cut in your walkways for your stands because you're just not going to have the amount of growth to cut through because it hasn't come back from the winter yet so you know while we're on this mike i'm gonna get fired up here for a second is that okay with you you do that all right one time somebody in my club which is just something you got to deal with when you're in a um you know multiple member uh shared hunting club somebody got on to me for riding my four-wheeler in too far to a trail now in retrospect i was just new to the area i shouldn't have rode the four-wheeler in that far and 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 the in the future i won't but the same person who's talking about disturbing deer using the sound of the four-wheeler does not practice scent control and instead they're dropping their four-wheeler and walking a mile but they're also laying a scent trail that's a mile long that any mature buck's going to come across and say nope i don't like the smell of that i'm out of here whereas you know they might hear the four-wheeler and not really know what to think about it you know the, the four-wheeler is not natural uh it, it, scent is natural and instinctual so i got mad because this guy is hassling me about uh you know what i do how far i rode in the four-wheeler and granted i still saw deer but hassling me about the four-wheeler but then he's gonna walk a mile without practicing scent control through the woods you know down these trails I'm not surprised when he doesn't see deer because you're stinking up the whole woods. So, what do you think about that, Mike? What's more important, scent control or how close you drive the four-wheeler? And maybe it's well, a mix between the two. But Well, I'm going to tell you a little story, something I'm going to pull out the memory bank from when I was a small child just beginning to hunt. We were part of this hunting club, and uh, my father met this man uh, building a cabin up in Tennessee. Uh, Mr. Dick was a large man, um, 300 pounds or plus. He was the camp cook and he ran it. He, um, and when I say he was a large man, 300 might be, uh, might be a little on the low side. Uh, when all our clubs, all our stands were club stands. There were no private stands. We built stairs, not ladders, stairs with a landing to get up to our shooting houses. Um, this man couldn't walk. I mean, he could walk, but he couldn't walk a mile. So what did he do? He drove his four-wheeler to the base of the stairs at his shooting house. And this man killed deer. So by him driving his four-wheeler to the stand, he didn't make a scent trail because he literally stepped off his four-wheeler and walked up the stairs. So to answer your original question the long way around... I think scent control is way more important than riding your four-wheeler because if you ever if you ever uh, run into a logger or people that work in the woods, they'll tell you stories about them cutting trees down and everything and deer just, you know, watching them. Deer, it seems, you know, just from the stories I've heard, almost have a fascination with um, tractors and uh, chainsaw, like the mechanical sounds. Like they almost have um you know a fascination with that and they want to investigate it whereas like you mentioned scent you know a deer has been trained its whole life if if something smells wrong 
run. So, uh, to answer your question, I think scent control is more important than uh, how far you take in a four-wheeler. Just from personal experience of of people driving basically to the bottom of the stand, parking their four-wheeler, and then killing deer. So, Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, heck, I've even heard of handi- handicap hunters building types of shooting houses that allow them to drive the four-wheeler into it and then they don't even have to get off the four-wheeler they just drive their four-wheeler into a shooting house type structure and hunting from that well uh uh, you got to think about this too you know you're you know when you're up there during the summer or the springtime you're riding your four-wheeler around most people a lot of people feed during the year. You know, a lot of people leave their corn out just so there's something there so or they'll plant. So, you know, that's people constantly being on four-wheelers and tractors. So the deer know that sound. Uh, you know, they know that sound means, uh, for a lot of times, it means food because that's a hunter going out to put corn or, you know, something like that. But the smell that you know that's just instinct so i i think that the sound of the four-wheeler can actually be learned to be a good thing just because and you know i've known people that during the summer they would literally just drive around their property just so the deer would not you know it was the season when deer weren't being shot at so the deer would not associate that sound with killing so well that brings up a good point too i mean the scent is instinctual uh i don't i don't know i don't know how exactly that gets put into the uh into the herd but i'm sure over the thousands of years that deer have been hunted by humans they've kind of figured out hey when you smell this that's a predator a four-wheeler though a four-wheeler just passing by even if it spooks them one time heck they're not being shot at. They're not being injured. They're not watching one of the uh, their their mates in their herd fall down dead. Right. Which I'm not even sure that deer view death the same way that we do. But, uh, man, I don't know. I've had deer in my food plot. One of my food plots is really close to a gravel road. And I've had deer in my food plot while a car is driven by, and all they've done is lifted their head and looked in that direction. But when there's no imminent danger... They continue on with their business. Now, granted, those aren't mature bucks that I'm talking about. It's does and um, small bucks. But I don't know. If, if they're not being greatly affected, I, I think scent control is the most important thing. And oh, yeah. hunting pressure. All right, so the next topic I've got on here is planning and scouting locations. You got one more thing to say about that? Well, no. What, I, what I've got to talk about is, is more to do with planting and scouting locations. So it'll roll to the next topic. I just read okay. I read something interesting that I had never put into practice, and I want to get your thoughts on it. Well, all right. Um, well, why don't you roll on then? Okay, so what I read was um, was basically, and it's kind of hard for you to do in a bigger club because, you know, you have your two stands are not really close together, and you have so many people around you. But if you had, you know, if you had a, I want to say, you know, a couple hundred acres that was just yours and you could do this, what, what I've heard proposed is you, you find where the 
the bedding area is and their their water source so you find where the bedding area is and a water source and then in the middle of your property you plant a big food plot to keep them to keep them in your area just a big food plot that you don't hunt and then somewhere in between the bedding area and this big food plot you place your smaller your smaller plot and that's what you actually hunt um, just because you'll catch them going from the main food source a bedding area maybe and drinking so you want to be right in that sweet spot and then also I read that if you had a big enough area you know say you could even make a bedding area in your food plot so if you were close enough to a water source that they frequented if you made a plot big enough you could actually plant um, and I, I didn't get specifically into what to plant but you could plant something that would grow that deer would bed in during the day and then you would have your food plot literally in the same plot so as deer were drink you know they would eat you know feed I guess in the morning go drink and then they would come and bed they would literally be bedding in your food plot and then when the evening came or when their next feeding cycle was they just walked out of the bedding area that you planted and into your food plot so it was something I had never thought of and I thought was pretty both both ideas were very interesting to me what do you what do you think yeah um more so what I can do is look at the GPS uh, pictures that we have of our land and try to do that uh, with what we already have in place. Obviously, I'm not going to go out there and, and make a plot that's, that's all mine because that's not how the club runs. But uh, I've had good success hunting areas that are off the beaten trail. Uh, they're not a popular stand location. I don't know. Heck, it's it goes back to pressure, though. Hunting pressure. You leave that, like what you're talking about, this main food plot that's a big food source. You leave it alone and let it be a, a sanctuary for the deer. And that way they don't really associate danger with it. And uh, you can maybe try a couple different uh, cutoff spots. Or uh, I want to say uh, Grant Woods calls them hidey hole food plots. Um <laughs> If you've got, is that where you heard it from? No, I don't remember. I don't remember where I got the article from, uh, but I just remember reading it the other day online. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier the size of food plots. I really like to have at least a hundred yard long food plot, and I think yeah. that's that's a that's a safe number where deer feel comfortable coming in. Uh, you know, you, you, you're not going to spook them easily. Uh, even if you're just out there and you see something you don't want to shoot, um, still get a, a good long look at them because you're not right on top of them. Right. Um, I also believe in fully enclosed shoot houses that are carpeted. You want to deaden yes. your noise as much as you can and limit the amount of wind and and light coming in to uh, to eliminate your shadows. I know, um, and this is something me and Aaron discuss routinely. His uh, the club stands at his uh, on his uh, club. They they're cookie cutter molds. They just build them and put them up. But um, 
there's basically a one foot gap all the way around and it uh it lets in a lot more i mean it basically let you there's no hiding you basically so any movement you make could could more than likely be seen by deer i like to the shoot houses uh, we've always made have been fully enclosed you put a window on each side but that window may only be uh eight inches by a foot or uh, you know something very small but you know you can see your whole food plot but it's going to be a small hole for the deer to look into so well the uh, the stand i put on on my bigger primary food plot this year i call it the redneck condo and it's because that thing is huge man you could you could fit three people comfortably sitting side by side in that thing it's well built what that thing's like five or six years old isn't it uh, I believe that stand uh, me and my dad built in 2009. So it's it's almost Yikes. 10 years old. It's it's old. Well, it's it's solid as a rock still, and uh, it's uh, like it's a four by six a mattress. It's yeah. a, it's a four by six stand. You could you could lay down and sleep in that thing for sure. But yeah, it was very comfortable. Uh, I've got it on a beautiful food plot. Uh, feeder about a hundred yards away from it. Uh, if nothing else, you go sit in there. You can move around as much as you want to. The deer aren't going to see you. Well, Mike, the last topic I got for whitetails is feeder locations. When you're placing uh, a feeder on a food plot, what are we looking for? Because it's it's different than stand location. Stand location, you're thinking about you. You're thinking about your interaction with the food plot. Feeder location is more so with, from the deer's perspective. Well, really, um, really that that feed, and we're just gonna, we might as well just call it that corn, because that's what everybody uses down south mainly is corn. Really, you, I think you want to put that in the center of the plot not dead center but you know maybe towards the back in the middle um because that corn really it's just something to get them in there you know in some places it's all you know like texas hunting it's really all the deer get to eat is the attractant because it's scrub everywhere but you know we get to actually uh plant food plots so you know a lot of people just plant rye grass which you know not it's not as nutritionally sound as if you get a good assortment of some beans and clover and alfalfa and some um turnips and sugar beets and all that but so really them deer are just going to be like cow so you want to get something you want to get something sweet in the middle and draw them in and then they're going to take a few bites of that corn and then they'll go chew on something else so really that corn is just something to pull them into the middle if they stand there long enough you might get a shot but if not they'll mosey around and chew on some grass and then you know you want to try and get them in there and keep them in there because that doe is just going to try if the doe is comfortable then other things are going to be comfortable to come in so really if if you got corn on the edge of your patch that doe is just going to be on the edge and it's a she hears one little twig snap boom, she's right in the woods so if you can try to draw her out into the middle you know to get her out in the middle she's got to be comfortable comfortable enough to get out there so that's what i like i like to put it towards the back of the food plot but in the middle that way the deer have to get out of the wood line what do you think yeah 
Well, I like to tuck them away, and I think it's because I, I've, I've still got this small, very small, minute part of me that believes that maybe a buck will come to the corn. And in Mississippi, I'm struggling to make that happen. Um, I, now, it happens on the days I'm not in there, but the days that I'm in the stand, they seem to skirt the wood line. Uh, they'll come to a, a bottle of tinks hanging on a tree limb before they'll come out in the middle and eat corn during daylight. Um, you know, I was just talking about that big food plot with the redneck condo on it, and uh, I don't know, the does where I've got it tucked, it's a, there's a trail that feeds into the back of the food plot, and I've got it just down that trail before that trail dog legs off to the right. And uh, I had to clean out a lot of brush. I don't think you were there with me that day. I had to move that thing another five yards back. But um, hunting season came, and it wasn't quite 100 yards, so I had to move it back to 100 yards. And to get there, I had to sneak it around the corner. But I think it was better. And what ends up happening, you just have to be opportunistic if you're out there trying to get a doe. Yeah. Uh. But you know, we're talking about scent control. You're gonna put a feeder up. That means you got to go out there and put feed in it, and that means you're gonna get scent somewhere back there. And that's probably that's probably the main reason that bucks stay away from them. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I could try uh, bringing a fresh bottle with me of uh, some kind of scent scent away or something like that, and well, spraying you know, down as soon as I get off the four wheeler. Well, you know, that's another good reason to put it in the middle of your food plot because if you walk through the middle of your food plot, them deer have to get all the way into the middle before, you know, it. You know, even if you spray yourself, there's a chance you could leave something. So them deer still have to walk all the way into the middle of your food plot before they'll catch, you know, ground scent of you. So, you know, if you leave it on the edge, then you're right, you know. Deer could scent something, but if it's in the middle there's a bigger chance they could probably walk out and you know you have a shot before they sent something on the ground that you left you know bringing in your corn or whatnot so you got any last comments about spring whitetail activities before we get in a little talk about squirrel hunting well you know we've talked about our food plots and our stand locations um what do you what is your thoughts on uh planting and what to plant you know, you know, a lot of people are now getting getting into planting two times a year. They'll do something for the the spring or summer, you know, spring slash summer, and then they'll let that come through, and then they'll get their fall plant in. So, what have what have you? What are your thoughts on that? You know, I'm all for it, but what do you like to plant to to bring the deer in? What it, what is your blend uh, in the food plot? Oh, when I'm a retired old man, I'm going to plant twice a year. I promise you that. Right now, I ain't got time for it, so I plant once a year. And I want to pick my food plots by something that's luscious and uh, desirable. You like that word? Luscious. I like it. I like it. That's a good word. This year, I planted, uh, it was the cheapest thing that the co-op sold here, and I mixed in other things with it, uh, particularly crimson clover uh purple top turnip and uh trophy rape mm. and i did purple top turnip on one food plot trophy rape on another and i did crimson clover on both 
and uh, I really think it was a good decision to go with the Crimson Clover because of everything on that food plot right now there's a pile of Clemson clover still left. And so that's that's a viable food source. Uh, heck, we're, uh, since I planted, heck, we're almost nine months away from the time I planted and we've still got a viable food source on those plots. It also creates a food source for turkeys in the spring. So if you go out and you don't hear any calling, go sit on the food plot, sit there till 9.30 or 10 and, um, you don't see anything there go back to the camp and have a, gu- a cup of coffee and a warm cinnamon roll but uh now rain one of my buddies planted snow peas this year yeah i was just about and to mention that what we didn't do well that we'll fix next year is how thick to plant them and something to plant them with i think if you plant them with something that shoots up pretty tall maybe those snow peas will grow onto that and get a little bit taller produce more of a a consumable food product uh with what he planted those deer just went through and picked it straight off the stem and uh, about a month into the season nothing was left but they were they were delicious apparently yeah i like to when i when i plant one i like to get a little winter wheat out there some snow peas um and uh clover some maybe some alfalfa uh, and ryegrass just because of how well ryegrass takes and anything um, but you're right the the winter peas you have you need a you need to plant something that they can uh, travel up a little bit a lot of people do sunflower seeds or you know sunflowers not sunflower seeds but uh, just so it gives them you know they need a little stalk to climb but um, the the snow peas uh, will actually, if if you've got any left after the season, if you uh, disc them up, they'll actually plant themselves. So you could actually have a second uh, a second growing of them if they make it and you disc them back in. They'll actually you know seed and germinate and regrow. So I'm with you. I like to get leafy things in there. Uh, you know, a good sugar beet. You know, some turnips, something. Uh, something with some good leafage on it, you know, something that's tender. Uh, that way, the deer just have something to something to chew on. And uh, like I mentioned last episode, it's something I'd never never known. But the average deer consumes seven pounds of food a day. So, you know, hunters need to think about that when they're planting these food plots. Uh, you know, everybody does ryegrass, but as me and me and Aaron have discussed privately ryegrass is almost like corn corn when a deer eats corn it basically turns straight into sugar and they process it basically that day or very early into the next ryegrass is almost the same same thing it doesn't automatically turn to sugar but there's no there's hardly any nutrition in ryegrass so um if you want healthy deer you need to plant you need to plant an assortment of goodies uh because they're not like us. They just go down to Wendy's and get them a burger. They have to eat the salad. So I'm sure eating the same <laughs> thing over and over again would get boring. So give them a smorgasbord yeah. and they'll they'll be happy. I'd, I I, I want to do this uh, one, one of these years. Get some soybeans and plant, uh, plant the full food plot and then put a... I don't know is it called a passive electric fence or something like it's like battery operated yeah uh, it keeps the deer out of a portion of what you plant 
so that it's able to grow up to a substantial uh, size and produce um, produce a good deal of food. You know, like soybeans, if you could get it, I don't know, two feet off the ground and then pull the fence down, that's probably better than a corn feeder. I mean, I'm oh, not yeah. positive, but uh, it, it would take some work. It would take some money, money that I ain't got right now, probably money most people don't have. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing because I'm meeting my harvest goal every year. I want I want to kill one or two deer out of that club, and uh, it's happening. I need to be a little bit more aggressive early season, taking a doe or two, and then waiting on that good buck because uh, the first couple of years I got a little bit too comfortable uh, and got late in the season, got kind of desperate. But I still still got what I wanted. Um I'd just rather get more comfortable easy early on. But I think those soybeans would provide an early food source and a late food source. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's all I want to cover for deer. Why don't you why don't you bring us on into squirrel season and we get after them little critters? Oh, man. I hope we can make it happen, dude. Uh, only a, only a two-week season, so we'd have to be opportunistic. Um I know that we've been a few times in the fall. And, you know, my favorite thing about squirrel season is how active it is. You know, I think, I think uh, it's probably the most active type of hunting that I've done outside of dove hunting, which we're doing that this year as well. Right. right? Yep. We're going to do it. Uh, yeah. Uh, we, we, practice, we, we practice as much as we can for our for – our, uh, dove hunting that's right we ought to murder them by the time we get there especially with that new strategy i talked to you about yeah <laughs> uh anyway for for anybody who's not familiar with squirrel hunting there's a couple different strategies in the fall that you can use um there's there's uh the, the 22 rifle strategy which you're gonna have to be really still you're gonna have to get up under a tree that you know has some acorns um generally in the fall when the squirrel hunting is best a lot of the foliage has fallen off of the trees and um hunting with a shotgun is a great idea because you're you're just going to get out there you're going to hit a squirrel while it's running from branch to branch um i always hunt under the assumption that they haven't seen me yet so i stay really still and when I see one running on a branch, I say, okay, he doesn't know I'm here. So I'm going to stay still until I know I get a great shot. Then I'm going to jump up and make my move. Um, the other type of strategy is with a 22, where you, you, again, have to sit still, but you also have to wait for the squirrel to sit still. Right. With a shotgun, you can hit a moving target. With a 22, you got to wait till he stops and gets comfortable doing something, and then you try to make a headshot on him. It's very difficult to hunt with a 22. I know a lot of people that do it, uh, but it's hard to get your bag limit, which in Mississippi is eight. I imagine it's pretty similar in uh, other other states, but in the fall, it's eight a day. Um, with a shotgun in the right spot, that's not hard to do. With a 22, that's a challenge, man. It's a challenge. I've only killed one with a 22. I've only taken it in the woods a few times because I missed a pile of them. Uh, they are... Uh, they're very nervous little creatures, so you, you've <laughs> got to make sure that you take your time. And with a twenty-two, your range is, is about like a shotgun. Forty or fifty yards is your max. You're gonna have to you have to get them inside of that. So, 
by far the most fun way to hunt squirrels is with a dog. No doubt in my mind. That's been the most fun. Because you, you go out there, it's a social affair, man. You're, you're walking around. You can make all the noise you want to make. The dogs are going to do the work. <laughs> um, now, so that's fall hunting strategy. Spring hunting strategy, you got foliage on the trees. Shotguns are not as effective as they are in the fall. So I'm planning on bringing the 22. And if I kill two, I will be happy. I'll feel it'll be just be an achievement. If I get my full bag limit, which in the spring is four, I will feel like a dadgum champion out there. Uh, I, what I'm curious to see, I've never hunted the spring before, what I'm curious to see is how much activity is in the treetops. You know, the, my favorite time to hunt squirrels in the fall is late October, early November, and that's because they're still in the treetops. They're easy to hit. They're moving around. They're easy to find. Uh, if you wait too far into November and December here in Mississippi, they get on the ground. And when squirrels are on the ground, they're just they're surprisingly hard to hit. And, hard to uh, they're see. They're hard to find. They're hard to see, too. Yep. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm 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 very excited about it. I want to do it. It's just going to be hard to fit in that two weeks to make it happen. Well, when when does exactly does it start? This weekend or next weekend? I wish it was this weekend. It's May fifteenth, though. May oh. 15th. Well, I mean, this weekend is is Mother's Day, and no good Southern boy is going to be in the woods on Mother's Mother's Day weekend. So, it's real. It's really right. helping us out by not by not starting it on Mother's Day weekend. So. Uh, the, but, uh, the weekend of the 26th and 27th, I should be able to get in the woods. Should be. Mm, well, Danny has, uh, I don't know when, I should be going out of town sometime within the next three weeks maybe. I don't know. That is the weekend of the SEC championships in baseball. And Danny is kind of thinking about wanting to go. But we'll have to see. That's. You know, being an Auburn fan and Auburn finally being good at baseball for one year, he he's kind of excited a little bit. But, you know, there's a little different. I'm not an Auburn fan. Tennessee's okay in baseball, first-year head coach. Uh, I think I would rather be in the woods with a gun than at a baseball stadium rooting, rooting for a team I don't like particularly too much. So if I'm still in town and we got a chance, I think we need to go hunting. Cause like you, I've Amen. I've never I've never hunted during the spring, and uh, I uh, I don't have your patience with the 22 idea. So if Michael goes hunting during the springtime, the shotgun will be involved. The full choke Remington will be there to pluck squirrels from 60 yards through the through the foliage through the canopy. They will fall. We will bash their heads into the tree to make sure that they have expired, and then we will eat them. <laughs> yeah, that's Heck one yeah. little thing they don't tell you about squirrel hunting. Make sure they're dead. You bash their little heads into the tree. You know, there isn't, you know, not not that I don't like hearing you talk about bashing their heads in the tree, but, you know, there isn't, there isn't many breakfasts that are better than fried squirrel with fried eggs, sunny side up, some hot grits and a biscuit man that's a freaking you make you make breakfast. you make a little you use a little bit of that squirrel grease on your biscuits or in your grits mm, yeah yeah you do yeah 
I think people you, that you I think people that don't cook bacon in a in a skillet and then use that bacon grease to cook other things are just wrong. You know, you should use bacon grease to cook everything. Mm-hmm. Tofu, uh, vegetarian dishes. How people don't eat meat and are okay with that, I just don't understand it. It's like they've never had a good steak in their life. Oh, no. By the way, I tried a new uh, meat shop down here in South Mississippi. I need to tell you about it. Can we name name drop towns? Why not? I think we've mentioned where I think we've mentioned where we've hunted before. So why not? All right. Well, there's there's this meat shop in Van Cleve. And, uh, Lord have mercy. I got two ribeyes from there. Are you talking about, um, it's like the meat market or something is what it's called. Oh, no, there's a, there in, in Van Cleve, there's a little, a little gas station, crew thirds. It's a little, it's a little quick stop, uh, but they've got a meat counter in the back. You, they've got good meat. You can, you can go in there and tell them you want a three inch steak and they'll cut it, but it's called crew thirds. It's, um, I forget what that highway is, but that's in Van Cleve. That's that's one of the I best meat shops in. The, yeah, no, it's not on fifty seven. Um, we should probably talk about this not on the podcast where we're going to start naming things from our childhood that people will never know. But yeah, yeah, we'll talk about this when we're not on the podcast because I'm going to get very specific about locations. So, but yeah, we'll well, we'll talk about yeah. where you can get some good steaks. Yeah, long story short, these steaks were good. Even the middle part of the ribeye that's generally the toughest, I mean, that thing with a fork just fell apart. It was it was delicious. Mm. And uh, my buddy has one of those green eggs. Oh, you're... I got to get one. Uh, one of them charcoal people. I'm not a charcoal I'm fan. I have to get one. not a charcoal fan. You know why I'm not a charcoal fan? Because it takes too long. You got to clean up. Uh, you don't have consistent temperature. That propane, you cut it on, it's hot. You're ready. Charcoal, charcoal is like an event. Charcoal is for people that want to drink a lot, and I, I don't know. Charcoal people are, are charcoal people are the people that go out and buy a fifteen dollar six pack from the beer emporium that was made in a select brewery, where to me the propane is the man that goes out and drinks a Miller Light and a Bud Light. So that's my thoughts on propane and charcoal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the guy that goes and buys the $15 six packs. I'll do that. You know, if I, if I'm lighting the charcoal though, you know, I'm, I'm relaxing. I'm not in a hurry. I'm going to wait for, uh, you know, good things come to those who wait. Mike, do you know that? I may have heard that once or twice. Yeah. But I've also heard you make your own luck. So that to me would mean not waiting well, I believe Thomas does Jefferson t- said that. Does it make me a total hypocrite if I go cook uh, my wife and I's pork chops tonight on a George Foreman? It does not, but I will say to get the best flavor out of your pork chop, you should fry it. A fried pork chop is the best. Oh, yeah. Well, this one's bone-in, and I don't really feel like frying a bone-in one. Yeah, we've completely... We, we went from squirrel hunting to uh, some completely different topics but uh yeah well you know squirrel you can do some great things with squirrel aaron makes a good squirrel stew and uh if anybody ever writes into the podcast web uh email i'm sure aaron wouldn't mind handing out some of his down home southern recipes 
Heck yeah, man. And it's actually squirrel gumbo, but it is delicious. Mm. Uh, he'll also hand out delicious. his uh, recipe for uh, Southern Lodge sweet tea. Yes, that one is not very complicated. <laughs> That's uh, all I got tonight, Mike. Uh, it's uh, Yeah, uh, so just to let the listeners know, we're going to try and get a squirrel hunt in. Our schedules are starting to get a little bit more hectic. Well, mine is because I've actually been home for a few weeks, which is kind of rare right now with my job. But um, if we get a squirrel hunt in, we might actually finally do a live podcast, not from the woods, but from the outdoors. One, The first podcast where, where two of us at least are in the same location, um, and we'll do one right. I'm still, we're still trying to get Danny going because, you know, we're trying to get another, at least a little bit of sports going in one of our podcasts. I know the last two have been a little little whitetail hunting uh, heavy. So hopefully next, in one of our next pods, we'll, we'll get some sports in. Uh, like I mentioned on the last one, we just had the draft. Um, me and Danny are both hockey fans. We got the, uh, the, the Stanley Cup playoffs going right now. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see what happens next time at the lodge. Thanks everybody. Uh, you can reach us at our email at Southern Lodge one. And that's the number one at gmail.com. Once again, Southern Lodge one at gmail.com.